holiday road intro holiday road holiday hey there this road. is rish outfield and this is the rish outcast euro trip edition holiday road so i am now back and i Big Sean. Holiday Road. Big Sean. I, I, I'm not sure how I'm going to do this. I recorded three different times while I was in Europe, twice in Germany and once in Amsterdam. And I feel like those were just overviews of the whole trip, of what I was feeling, um, unique or interesting things that had happened that day. But now I'm back and my sleep schedule is totally screwed up. Yesterday I woke up right around four in the morning and I couldn't go back to sleep for a while. And then today, or last night I guess, I started getting really, really sleepy at like nine o'clock, 8.30 p.m. kind of thing. And I, I, I struggled to stay awake and then I, I thought, you know, I'll just take a very quick nap. I'll even set my alarm so I don't oversleep, and then I will do something productive. And that didn't work. So it's the middle of the night, I'm not at all tired, and I thought, okay, I'm going to do this recording now. But what do I do with the other three recordings? I don't know. How will I, I, I don't wanna waste that. I'm going to try and figure something out. But what I'm going to do right now is sort of go through each day and say a, a few words, and I worry that it's going to be very long. So I brought my good friend, Sir Fake Sean Connery, with me to sort of help me keep it in mind when Rish, things start getting boring. Because I wouldn't... Too late. Okay. And the thing... You're it, already there. No, it, Rish, mm. I'm bored out of my mind. All right. He's, he's going to be here to keep me honest, I suppose. Uh, really, there was just one joke I wanted to have him for and as the days went by i kept thinking oh you know i could do this fake sean joke and now he's here and i don't know what to do with him ah you said i don't know <laughs> why why are you laughing that's just more work for me yes just like inserting me is more work for you well that's that's very true and me laughing while you talk <laughs> yeah that that is all more work <sighs> So, in case you didn't know, I got to go to Europe for two weeks. It was supposed to be two weeks. It ended up being even longer than that. And it was a once-in-a-lifetime trip for me. I knew I would never... Well, I've said this before. I did an episode where I talked about the anticipation, and my Patreon supporters have heard me talk endlessly a lot about my feelings about it, my, my, my sense that I, I didn't deserve to go on this trip. And the thing is, your first instinct was right. My first instinct was right. Thank you, Fake Sean. You're welcome. Uh, my buddy Jeff spent so much money, so, so much money on this trip that there were moments when I, I was just embarrassed. I, I just, I felt mortified. The, 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 the pinnacle was that we went to this steakhouse in, in Chessy, France, and 
I, I told him, I, I said, Jeff, I saw the, the menu outside the door. I, I can't afford anything in this place. And he's like, don't worry about it. And I, I said, yeah, but I, I would rather go somewhere where I could pay for my own meal than have you pay for like a really expensive meal. Do you understand? And he's like, this is where I want to go. He, I almost did Jeff's voice as fake Sean Connery. I guess I am tired. <clears throat> he said, this is where I want to go. So don't worry about the price. Don't look at any of the prices. And he wasn't screwing around. He insisted on paying for every meal from that point on. And a couple of times, like when we were in Venice, I said, you know, hey, if we're going to get ice cream, that's on me. And he's like, are you sure? And I wonder if I had just offended him at that steakhouse or if the plan was always for him to buy the meals and I, I wasn't aware of that or I see I already feel like this is going on too long yeah damn right now come on hey we're five minutes in five minutes that feels like seven okay shh, shh, shh. just just sit there for a minute and let me talk and I will um, I'll signal you when I want you to say your thing it's just one joke that's why you're here one joke you're, you're one joke so the kind without a punchline. Well, fake Sean sulks. Let's see if I can remember what I was talking about. Because I, I, I'm, I'm having trouble. Way back in like April or May, Jeff had floated the idea of, well, hey, would you want to come out to Europe? And we could go to a few things. We could do some stuff. I show you around maybe at the end of summer or in fall. And I had considered, you know, I, I, had, I had blue-skied it a little bit, thinking, boy, that would be fun. Because, uh, so back in 2017, I think it was, he moved out there for work. And he got this cushy military contract where, wait for it, kids, they paid him a salary. They also paid for his housing they paid for his transportation and they paid for meals. But in return, you know, he had to stay there. He had to commit to, I, I want to say, seven years. And, you know, he took his daughter out of school. His two sons had already graduated from high school. They, they're, they're maybe not geniuses on the level that Jeff is, but one of them graduated from high school at, at 13 and the other one graduated from high school at like 15, but he also had his associate's degree. They, they stayed here, but the daughter went with them and they enrolled her in school and she, you know, learned German and tried to assimilate. But I think the, the school that she went to was, had, was, was English speaking and that was mostly the kids of people that worked at the, the base or contractors. But the reason I tell you that is because Jeff made it clear that, you know, he had way more money coming in than he did going out. And so one of the first things that he did was he, he paid off the condo that he had gotten for his family to stay in while they waited for the paperwork to go through to go to Germany. Uh, and that, that paperwork stretched out for like six or seven months. And then so he just paid it off and it was his. And that was useful when 
the pandemic hit and suddenly there was no travel and they couldn't do anything and he started working from home. Anyway, long story short, he had flown his kids up there and his wife Emily's family and his parents there and shown them a, a good time. And so I guess I was next on the list. And I had been hesitant to say yes because it just seemed like too much, too too nice a gesture, you know? It, it seemed like I didn't deserve to get to go on a trip like this. And there were moments while I was there that I felt that way. And the super expensive steakhouse was one of them. Like, like they, on the menu, you could get french fries but they were just plain french fries and i asked if i could get some ketchup and it was two euros for ketchup and it was just this little teeny tiny lip balm sized bottle of ketchup that they brought me and it was my personal bottle of ketchup and i took a picture of it because it was just so horrific it was so emblematic really of how much money was being spent but jeff has always believed in spending money. And when we were young, starving students, he would take me to the store and I would enjoy going to the store with him even though I wasn't going to buy anything. But he always felt like, well, why did we go to the store if we didn't buy anything? And so he would always buy stuff and that has not gone away. And you know, he's a very, very, very smart person. And he speaks several languages and that has helped him get ahead. I feel like I'm, I'm over-explaining. But fake Sean isn't saying anything, and so I must not be. <laughs> Anyhow, I feel like all of this has been recap. Boring recap. What? Nothing. Let's just say that... Okay, so I, my flight left on a Monday, and my cousin had volunteered to drive me up to the airport. That was nice of him. I, my sister had lent me her great big suitcase so that I didn't have to carry two small suitcases. And that was good too. I, I have not done extensive traveling. And so I had my passport with me. I had my proof of vaccination. I had my driver's license. I, I think I used my driver's license once the whole trip. And the rest of the time it just, you know, it served no purpose. And I'd never once used the proof of vaccination, although I should put that back in the car where I've always kept it. But my passport, I used a lot. It's something that people in Europe are just used to, partly because Europe is, is several countries. You know, it's a, a region with several countries in it. And also because you know germany is where i spent the most time and they really like to ask people to see their papers it's a tradition like saying play ball at the end of the national anthem here uh and so i went through security which uh, took a while uh, and then i had a long time to, at the gate to just wait and i started blogging then and i still haven't finished blogging it, it it took way, way, way longer, like this, like podcast. this podcast, hey, to do than I, I thought that it would. And I got on the plane, the first plane, it was a 10-hour flight to Amsterdam, and it was going east. And I had been told that going east was way harder 
than going west. Harder on the body because you lose so many hours and your body thinks, wait, no, it's not, it shouldn't be night. You know, I, I, I hadn't been on a plane since like the digital revolution. The last plane that I had been on, you know, they, they showed a, a movie and if you wanted to watch it, you could plug your headphones in and if you didn't, you didn't. But now everybody has a little screen in the back of the seat in front of them and there were so many options, it was unbelievable. Like, I'm trying to remember, it was like 200 movies and five times that many television episodes. And I found that really interesting. I, I, I looked around at the people around me to see what they were watching. And, you know, you could watch stuff for grown-ups there. Uh, the, the guy directly in front of me was watching uh, Blade Runner 2. And uh, never mind. Gosh, I got to speed this up. The people, if, if you, you probably gave me this advice, if you're listening, said to, to sleep on the plane. It will help you with your jet lag. And that was something that I was really nervous about. Oh, yeah, I forgot to tell you. I was, I was really nervous about this trip. In the days leading up to it, I was like, oh, no. But once I got to the airport, I, I'm not sure what happened. It, it wasn't exactly a panic attack, but I was really sweaty. And it was that sour smelling sweat that you get from fear, not from exercise. And then I had a 10 hour flight to, you know, marinate in it. I had brought a winter coat with me because I had asked Jeff what the weather was going to be like. And I said, should I bring shorts? And he's like, shorts to Europe in November. Big Sean, do you want to do that part? What? Shorts to Europe in November. Yeah. But I'd brought a winter coat and honestly, I needed it that day going to the airport. And then there was one day in Germany when it was raining and I wore it, you know, for the half hour when we went outside. And then I put it on again once I got back to the States because it was winter here. I hadn't needed that winter coat, I guess is what I'm saying. The weather was really mild over there, impressively so. And maybe it was unique. Maybe it was atypical, but uh, I'll take it. People had told me, you want to sleep as much as you can on the flight to Europe so that you can be rested and get onto their schedule. But I found that I couldn't sleep when I tried. They gave us all sleep masks and they dimmed all the lights and they told people that, you know, we're, we're going to try and let everybody rest. And I couldn't do it. I finally put on some music that, that they had music channels. And there was like soothing piano music, volume two. And I put it on and listened to the whole thing and then started it over and listened to the whole thing again. I listened to it twice through. Maybe I slept a tiny bit, but I don't remember sleeping. I think my mind was just too active or something like that. Jeff complains that he can't sleep on planes and whatever afflicts him must afflict me as well. But the flight itself wasn't uncomfortable. I didn't have anybody sitting next to me. So that was kind of nice, especially if I smelled bad. And because Jeff had sent his parents and his sons over 
on this same route, he had written an instructive email to them to tell them what to expect and how to go through passport control in Amsterdam. And he had sent me that email as well. And it was very, very useful and helpful. And uh, it was the first in many, many instances where I depended wholly on Jeff to get me through. I can't stress that enough, how ignorant I felt when I, you know, I didn't understand how the buses worked and I didn't understand how the trains worked and I didn't speak the language and they, I didn't understand what anybody was saying. I didn't know the geography. I didn't know where I was or what to do or what things cost or it was a sea change. And uh, luckily I had two people with me all the time who spoke the language, at least in German's case, or understood enough of the language in French's case to get me through. But they had experienced everything from the Paris metro to the Venice water taxis, from the London underground to the, the speed train across Europe that uh, I, I really ended up depending on them a lot. And a, a lot of times I would just follow them around and, and expect them to communicate for me. And, and when the, we were in non-Western, non-American... Dirty American. ...restaurants, a lot of times I had no idea what to order and would just have to depend on them to order for me. And, and there were a couple of occasions where I just ordered something because I thought, oh, well, that sounds good. And it wasn't. Oh, well, you, you live and you learn. And, and I think part of an adventure like this is things not going the way that you expect. And so there was lots of that. Anyhow, I went through passport control in Amsterdam. And then I was just stuck at the gate for a much, much smaller plane to take me to Stuttgart, Germany. And uh, I got to Germany, and unlike in Amsterdam, where all of the signs were in English, and all of the announcements over the intercom were in English, and what what else were they in? Dutch? You are in Dutch if you don't end this podcast soon. Ew. That was, that was not the joke that I wanted you to deliver. Just stay silent until I need you. You needed me from the beginning, lad. Yeah. You're floundering without me. But in Germany, everything was in German. And sometimes they would repeat announcements in English. Sometimes the signage would have English on it. But not all the time. Maybe not even most of the time. And the first thing that I did that was an eye-opener once I got there was uh, I found a restroom. Oh, you know, in Europe, they have restrooms that you have to pay to use, which is probably a smart idea. But we really only have those here in really bad neighborhoods. At least that's been my experience. And I had no European cash. So I'm glad that it, it, I mean, maybe there were pay restrooms in the airport. Probably not, though. But I went in and it turned out it was a handicapped restroom. And I used it and I tried to find 
the flush and I, I, I couldn't find it. There was only one thing that looked like a button that might have flushed it. And when I pressed it, it was the emergency contact button for there at the airport. And a light started flashing and an operator got on speaking to me in German, which I didn't understand. And I apologized in English and said, I'm, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to push the button. I, I apologize and I pushed it again, thinking, okay, you know, you pressed it, now you depress it. And that would just made more trouble, I suppose. Anyhow, I just hightailed it out of there. The, the, the toilet unflushed. I didn't mean to draw attention to myself, but I suppose that I did. How charming. And uh, I, I, baggage claim, I went there, and eventually my sister's suitcase came out. And I had, uh, whenever we'd go on trips with my mom, she would take a piece of brightly colored yarn and she would wrap it around the handle of all of our suitcases so that we knew that ours were the ones with, it was usually red, but sometimes it was green, yarn on it. And I had asked her if she had a piece of yarn before I left so that I could do that. And thank goodness, because it wasn't my suitcase, it was my sister's suitcase. And I didn't recognize it when it came down the, the, the track, but once I saw that yarn on it, I knew that it was mine. And yeah, that, that was very useful. Anyhow, Jeff had taken a uh, train over to pick me up. And when we went out and I rode on my very first train from the airport, whatever town that's in, into Stuttgart, they still had this rule where you had to wear masks, COVID masks on all public transport. And I think Jeff had warned me about that. So I had brought some masks from whenever it was, last year, or I guess when I worked on Christmas movies, I would wear a mask sometimes, but uh, I had brought them and it was, um, it was hard to get used to wearing a mask again. And there were a couple of times that we were on trains for hours and to wear a mask for hours, I had gotten out of the habit. Which reminds me, a priest and a nun stopped dating. But the Monsignor says... No, 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 fake Sean. That's, that's not the joke either. Ah. Uh, Jeff doesn't have a car. He, he, he decided that he would depend on the German public transport. And, and, and in Europe, people use public transport a lot. And it's, it's the great equalizer. You know, there are trains where you can have first-class seats, kind of like on airplanes and all that. But as far as the subway goes or the bus goes, you know, everybody is, is equal. And so you would see business people and you would see, you know, single mothers and you would see old people and, you know, hot model types and foreigners and townsfolk on these buses and trains all the time and it was just it was it was really interesting as an experience to to go on these things and to see how efficient they were for the most part the trains did tend to be delayed uh, especially there in germany and i got to sort of understand 
the schedule monitors and how it would say how long each train had been delayed and, and what it was originally supposed to leave at and what it was now leaving at. I, I found that interesting. And yeah, there were times when it was really inconvenient because trains got delayed. Uh, and maybe that was atypical, but it was something that we experienced multiple times while I was there. And so, I mean, one time they had a fire on the track. At least that's what Emily said that the announcement had said in German. And it took a while for them to clear that. And there were times when the train got delayed. And so a new train came in its place. It was supposed to come afterward. So now the train we were supposed to get on was on a different track. And we'd have to hurry over and find that new track before the train got there. If you live in Europe and you're used to this, this is all par for the course. But if you're an American, a horrible American, right, th this is totally alien to you. And, and, and it was to me. I, I didn't know how to get a bus pass or a train ticket pass. There were these two apps that Jeff and Emily had on their phones. One was for buses and one was for trains. And you would pay a, I'm, a, I'm assuming monthly fee, but for me, it was probably weekly fee, then tell it when you wanted to use the pass uh, so that it was active. And sometimes they would check to see that you had a ticket. Uh, but a lot of times they wouldn't. It's not really that they, you were on your honor. It's just you never knew when they were going to ask to see your pass or not, your, your ticket or not. And I would say a third of the time on the bus... Now, hell, maybe twice on the bus they ever asked to see the pass. And on the train, it was a lot more. But still not every time. Everybody would have their ticket pulled up on their phone uh, so that the conductor, is that what they call it? I don't know. Would, hey, that doesn't count, would scan it, would check it, and... Uh, Sometimes no conductor or whatever that person was called. I don't know. So everybody would just put their phone away. Oh, and that was another thing is I, I had been told I had gone into T-Mobile, which is my cell phone carrier, and asked them uh, what would happen when I went to Europe. And they had told me that I had unlimited texting, but I would have to turn on data if I wanted internet or to make a call and that the calls would be, you know, there would be a fee. And so I pretty much decided I would turn off my, I did it on my flight to Amsterdam. I turned off my data and didn't turn it on again until I was in the U S and, uh, it surprised me how much I had become accustomed to having that data to having internet access almost all the time, unless I go to the cabin to be able to make a call if I want to, to be able to play a game or anything other than text. I, I've just become very spoiled, I suppose, but I fought it. And a lot of times there would be Wi-Fi, like on trains, a lot of times there would be Wi-Fi at train stations. A lot of times there would be Wi-Fi, but it would also be very spotty. And sometimes 
I just couldn't connect or, and it, it wouldn't work or it would pretend that it was connected, but it didn't give me any data or internet access. And to use the app to show them that you have a ticket, you have to have internet access for the app to work. And so in my case, whenever the, gosh, what, did it, what do you call it, maitre d'? I don't bloody know. Uh, whenever that person would come and want to scan everybody's phone, I would have to ask Jeff to turn on his Wi-Fi hotspot thing so that I could log in and show them. Uh, and then he would turn it off. And I, yeah, I, like a junkie, I was like, don't turn it off. Leave it on. It wouldn't hurt you to leave it on. Anyhow, I, I'm still not tired. And it is 3.10 a.m. But I feel like this is boring. <laughs> Imagine how I feel. Uh, and I'm, I'm tempted to turn it off and start again. But I haven't even gone an hour. Are you sure? It feels like three. It does. I had been really worried about jet lag. Jeff always suffers from jet lag when he comes here. And I didn't know what it was. I, I assumed jet lag was your body clock telling you, hey, it should be much, much later than it is. Or, it should, hey, it's getting dark already, but it, it, it shouldn't be. It's way too light. And maybe that's part of jet lag. But the way Jeff would describe it, it sounded more like somebody describing being hungover, where their heads were heavy and their mouths were all cottony. And it's just like, ah. And maybe he suffers from jet lag much, much worse than other people. But whenever he comes here... He's absolutely useless the first day and sometimes even the second day. So when he comes here, he usually will book an extra three or four days on his trip. He comes a little bit early and leaves a little bit late so he can recover from his jet lag. And he said that it usually doesn't wear off until he's been here for a week. And I was like, F that, dude. I don't have a week to waste feeling sick or hungover or groggy or whatever jet lag is. So I was really, really worried. And, and yeah, that first day people had told me, and I think Jeff had told me as well, you're going to be tempted to go to sleep because your body doesn't know what time it is. And you know, Chicago taught us, does anybody really know what time it is? What am I supposed to sing? And I don't know that song. Does anybody know, really know what time it is? I, I, it's something like that. But they had said, you know, you, what you want to do is you stay awake as late as you possibly can. So see if you can get on their schedule of going to sleep when people go to sleep there. And that will help your body acclimatize. Don't just go to sleep as soon as you get there because you'll be tempted to. And so that was something that he said is like, you know, we're going to try to entertain you. And so we went for a walk and then he started putting on... TV shows, and I, I just, I couldn't concentrate on the shows. I was in a funk. I, I didn't feel fully awake, but I, I certainly didn't feel fully asleep. And like he put on an episode of Supernatural and it ended up being the only episode of Supernatural we watched the whole trip. And that's something that Jeff and I have been making our way through for the last like eight or nine years. And until he mentioned it, I didn't even remember we had seen an episode of Supernatural. And he's like, what? You don't remember watching it? And I, it was like trying to remember something from a decade ago. I remembered 
like a moment here or there. And he's like, yeah, yeah, that was it. Were you asleep the rest of the time? And I was in a twilight zone when the bullet hits the between awake and asleep. And I, I guess I'm probably telling you what jet lag feels like where you totally know. Now tell them what diarrhea feels like. What? Why? Because it pleases you. Well, oh, oh, you know, hey, that reminds me. They have these toilets on the train. Oh, Rish, I was joking. And when you would push the flush button, there's like this immense eruption of water. And I learned, I think the very first time I used one, that you always want to close the toilet seat before you flush. Because there's this huge spray of water that will spray up into the air and spray you. And imagine being sprayed by toilet water while you've got a long train ride ahead. It's, 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 it's not pleasant. Well, some people like that sort of thing. It is Germany after well, all. Thank you. That wasn't the joke either, but I appreciated that one. So I learned to close the lid every time I would flush the toilet. And they didn't always explode like that. But more times than not, you know, you could hear the water hit the toilet seat. That was a lesson that I learned, and I, I learned it well, because I never got splashed again. Don't get splashed again. Don't. Don't do that. Oh, jeez. Hey, man, I'm sorry. I, did, I didn't mean to take it out on you, fake Sean. You're doing a good job. So the, the first night, we watched some stuff, and I just, I, I was a zombie. I, I was not functioning very well. And Jeff said, well, look, all you have to do is, is make it to 8.30 or 9.00. And then I'll let you go to sleep. And I appreciated that. But you know me. I am used to staying up till 2 or later in the morning every night. And uh, I don't tend to get up early in the morning. I'm not a morning person. But on days that I have to, I just go with much less sleep. It's easier for me to be tired the next day than to try to force myself to go to sleep at a uh, a more reasonable time. But Jeff and Emily, they have somehow trained their bodies to wake up at five every day. It's like a switch watch for those guys. I don't know how they do it. I don't know. Ah. I don't know how they do it. I don't know. I uh, have to admit that it frustrated me because a lot of the times when we were staying somewhere, we were staying together. The only time I ever had a room to myself was when I was at their house because I had the guest room, you know, where the, the daughter's room. And so they would wake up at five and sometimes, you know, they would be really tired because of the adventure that we'd had. And, and there was one night, I think it was when we were coming back from Paris, that our train didn't get in until 2 a.m. And then we still had to walk through the train station, get to the bus terminal and take the bus back to the house and then walk back to the house. And so it was like past 2.30 when they went to sleep. And so if they woke up at five, they immediately went back to sleep. But except for one time, it was always frustrating that those guys were up. One of the things that they do as a tradition is that they play this Duolingo app to practice their German. And a couple of times they used it to practice their French. And it requires, it, it's a noisy app. 
it says something in German and then, you know, you have to translate or you have to repeat it, it seems like, to try and get the pronunciation right, to get the cadence right. And, that, and I, I wish that I had had that app to at least try some German, try some French, try some Italian. Italian is what I did the best at, but it didn't matter because in Venice everybody spoke English. Almost everybody spoke English. But it was not uncommon to hear them both duolingoing at 6 o'clock in the morning when I, I wanted to be asleep. I once struck a man in the duolingo. Really? Oh, how he cried and cried. He was not a praying man, but believe me, he called on a higher power. <laughs> Didn't help him, though. Another thing that I discovered on this trip is just how good we have it as, as Americans, as beastly Americans, right? Because everything is in our language. Everything is designed for us. All the menus, all the signs, all the radio stations, all the TV, all the entertainment, all the food is in English. And you never even have to think about it. Once you have learned to read and going there where I would be lucky if something had English on it, but it was almost never the case. It opened up my eyes that, you know, not every place is us. I, I couldn't tell the temperature. I couldn't tell distances because it was in Celsius and kilometers. I, Could you tell shite from Shinola? I, I, I vaguely understood the value of a euro versus a dollar, but that fluctuated. And then when we got to Great Britain, it became pounds. And that was not the equivalent of a euro exactly. And it just, I, it was weird. You know, I have traveled a little bit, gone to Mexico. We've gone on trips as a family. We went on a cruise a few years ago. It was the first cruise I had ever been on and it was really enjoyable. But, you know, when we disembarked in Mexico, I could communicate with them because I speak Spanish. And my Spanish didn't help at all on this trip except for reading French and sort of understanding what they were saying in Italian. But yeah, there was never any opportunity to speak Spanish, 21, and, and that's too bad. I, I, I heard people speaking in Spanish in London and in Paris, but I didn't really communicate with any of them. And whenever somebody said something to me in a language I didn't understand, my instinct was to reply in Spanish. I'm sure I did it a few times. And every time I would bump into somebody, I would say, excuse me, in Spanish, because that just was how my brain developed. But boy, the, the, the language barrier was rough. And if I ever get to this point where the police stopped me and they wanted to see my papers, I was so grateful that one of them spoke English because I just, what do you do? 
And, and, and as I said, uh, it, it reverted me to childhood. I started depending on, on Jeff and Emily to just make all the decisions and to lead the way. And um, that's probably not healthy, but boy, imagine if you got there by yourself and you had to figure out all that stuff uh, on your own. I, I don't think, I, well, I know I couldn't do it, but I don't think most people could do it. They would need somebody to help them or they would need to find somebody who spoke their language to explain things to them. Uh, and so, like I said, I, I, I became very much like a child and there would be times when Jeff would address me as though I was a child. And he would say my name and be like, come on, hey, let's go. And he would look over like I was a little kid that was wandering off the path or dawdling or, you know, going places that he wasn't supposed to go. And I, I imagine maybe he was frustrated with me or maybe he recognized that I had reverted to childhood. Uh, because you started pooing in your punch. No. Oh, thankfully that didn't happen much. Hey, anyway, I, I guess he had done it with his parents and done it with his kids. And, uh, and so I just became another of his kids. I, I'd say Germany was the hardest because nothing in German sounds like English. And, and, and all of the, the signs were just random stretches of letters pressed closely together I went to the grocery store, I think the, it might've been the first day or it might've been the second day. And I spent a long time until of course, Jeff started saying my name, we gotta go, uh, just looking at the products and trying to figure out what their words were for certain things. And um, I suppose if I had had a long amount of time or done that dang Duolingo thing, that wouldn't have been a problem for me. I once accidentally grabbed a nun's Duolingo. I thought it was your Jeff sister. Jeff made it sound like everybody spoke English there. And there were people everywhere we went that did, but not everybody. And on occasion, nobody spoke English. And the, the two places where the least amount of English was spoken were Germany and... France, and the two places where the most amount of English was spoken were London. London, really? Of course. You don't say. And Venice, which is wholly kept alive by tourism. And so almost everybody speaks English, or, you know, to communicate with the tourists, even if they're not Americans. Abhorrent Americans. Right. They tend to speak English just because it is the... You know, it's everybody's second language almost everywhere you go. Um, Jeff had to go to work a few times while I was there, but he gets up so early and the first train, I think, leaves at six that on the days that he was going to work, he would leave and he could come back about the time that I was ready to do something. And so that, that was interesting. Oh, he yawned. Well, that's, uh, that's a good sign. I've been yawning for almost an hour. Uh, something that we did a lot in Germany was walk around, partly because it's exercise, but also because everything is so much more compact 
in Europe. And you can get places just by walking. And if you can't get there by walking, there are the buses. Jeff took me to a donor shop, which is like a Turkish pita sandwich thing that I thought was pretty good. And I had one on my second day there in the country, and then I had one on my second to last day there in the country. And uh, I enjoyed the second one more than the first, but, but they were good. And they had Coke everywhere. A dream come true. I, I probably saw two places with Pepsi. Oh, that kind of Coke. The whole time I was there. And a lot of times they would have Coke Zero, which is what I've been drinking for the last year or two. And uh, the prices just varied wildly from about a one euro fifty, like a buck fifty for a Coke, up to... I think four seventy nine, or, or there might have been a place where they were straight up $5. I'll bet that steakhouse where we went, they were $6 for a Coke. But then you'd order a Coke, but you wouldn't know what size it was going to be. And they would range from very, very, very small to there were places that had Coke in liter bottles. And they would charge you for the bottle, but you could get your deposit returned if you returned the bottle and and it was like that in california but this was a much much more efficient way of doing it and everybody had recycle bins everybody had receptacles for the bottles and some places had multiple different bins one for paper one for food one for recyclable you know that kind of thing i found a lot of the food to be unique and unusual, um, almost always expensive, but there were also American chains there, monstrous Americans. Right. We ate at Five Guys Burgers at three different locations, once at the train station in Paris, once in downtown Paris, and once in Stuttgart. There were Burger Kings all over. I ate at a Burger King in Germany somewhere going to the Black Forest, and uh, I, I never went to another one. They had some interesting items on the menu that we don't have here in the U.S., and it would have been fun to try those, but I didn't. I ate at KFC, one in Venice and one in London. And the one in London, they handed me this tray and I had everybody's food on it. And I walked out and was bringing them their food and I tripped on the cobblestones and I dumped the food onto the ground. And the ground is dirty and wet because it's always raining. And I felt, again, like a child. That's something that a child would do. And they would cry about it. And I didn't cry, but I... You pooped your pants. no. I, I felt very bad. I felt guilty about it. And Jeff said, just pick up the food and we'll eat it. Who cares? Which is, you know, something that you would say to your kid, I think. I'm not sure what you'd say to your kid if they dumped the food on the ground. I mean, hopefully you wouldn't smack them and tell them that they were worthless. And why can't they be like their brother? But still, is it better to eat it or to say, okay, that's ruined now that it's been on the ground? I don't know! 
And I did go to McDonald's once, and that was at the Amsterdam airport. And, and I was hungry, so I guess it was fine. But, but it was more expensive than any McDonald's I've ever had, and it was less satisfying than any McDonald's I'd ever had. And so there's that. Riveting. Not sure why I'm telling you about the um, food franchise places that I went. I'm not sure either. But I, I've, I've named all of them. And everything else was a local place with local cuisine. And uh, I feel like I had a big variety of kinds of food. From Italian pizza, which I don't recommend, to potato salad and sauerkraut, which I, I thought was fine, actually. I liked it better than the, the pizza in Venice. We went to a Brazilian steakhouse. I'd never had that before, but it was really good. And we found a place that claimed to have authentic Mexican food in London. That was nice, because that's something that I really like to eat here, but only on special occasions. If I haven't conveyed it, I'm really cheap. And you don't smell so hot. I'm, 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 I, I should look up a bunch of cheap jokes and have fake Sean say one every time I mention prices or how expensive everything was or I wasn't willing to spring for that. Let's see what comes up. You know, when Rish gets cold, he gathers around the candle. But you know what he does when it gets really cold? Well, he lights the candle. Okay, well, that's. I feel like I've gone a little long. One of the things that I had asked Jeff about doing was going to the Black Forest because he's lived there for, what is it, five years now, four years now? I can't remember. And he's never gone. But his wife has gone, and I, I just thought it would be fun to walk around. In the, I, I wanted to see a place called the Black Forest. And uh, we did go do that. We had to take a bus to the train station and then take a train to, I think it was called Bonn Wildbahn, Bonn Wildbahn, and then walk to a tram station and take a tram up to the entrance of the Black Forest and then walk through it. And that was a really magical place, unlike anything I'd ever seen, with green moss growing all over the trees and all over the rocks and forest sprites and uh, coats of orange leaves all over the ground. It was, uh, it was a really cool place to go, but Jeff had had problems with his foot, and it was paining him, and after just a little while on that foot, he, he would have to stop and rest. And he said, you know, when we get to London, one of the things that we need to do is go to a shop and get me a walking stick. And while we had been in the Black Forest, I had grabbed him various branches to use as a walking stick but it just wasn't the same thing. Europe is so much older than any place around here. And, you know, there's just so much more history. Everyone has lived in the place that you are. Everyone has walked where you're now walking. People have died in every building. And that's something that is hard for me to get my head around, being a, uh, you know a naive American, a naive bloody American.
Yeah, well, weak fiction. But, you know, seeing statues or monuments or buildings that had stood for hundreds of years, you know, some places dating back to the 1800s or the 1700s, and there were a couple of places there in London dating back to the 1600s, it reminds you... That was, uh, that was quite a long walk for such a short trip. But being in a place as ancient as the Black Forest, it, it put things into perspective. A huge part of European culture is going to the pub, is drinking, is having a pint or two or five. And Jeff and Emily don't drink, and that meant that a lot of times we just drank Coke after Coke after Coke. I uh, ordered an apple juice one time and it was carbonated apple juice. And I guess they all drink that stuff over there. But to me, it just tasted like very, very mild beer. And who wants that? I uh, started carrying Coke Zeros in my backpack. But we, when we went from London to Paris, it exploded in my backpack. Yeah, it was just running with Coke Zero. It was, it was really unpleasant and gross. And I emptied out the backpack and washed it in the sink and tried to dry it in the bathtub. And it just, yeah, it, that was a shame. And it was a mess. And I was upset with Jeff and upset with me. Upset with me because, you know, I had had this mishap and it seemed like something that only I would do. And upset with Jeff because he was like saying, come on, come on. You know, you don't have time to clean that up. But of course you do, dude. You don't just let yourself drip all over the floor. We are talking about Coke here. Shh. And another cultural thing that I, I guess I found kind of alien was that I was always nodding to people or waving at people. And apparently that's not something that you're supposed to do. I was just trying to be friendly. Anytime I saw somebody, an old person or a child or whatever, I would wave to them or nod to them. And I guess that is, you know, something that uh, not even Americans do. Despicable Americans. Right. But just something that I do. I guess I was just trying to connect with these strangers. I remember uh, th uh, there was a moment when I was getting on the London Underground and I asked a guy if I could sit in the seat next to him. And he looked at me as if I had just said, hey, can I give you 50 pounds? He says, of course. The hell is wrong with you? That kind of thing. You don't ask. You just do. The, the subway, riding the subways was an adventure. We had a bit of an adventure in London when one of the stations was flooded and then there was a holiday and it was flooded in another way with people. So many people that they made announcements over the intercom saying to use the emergency entrances to, to reduce the congestion. And then a couple of days later, we were in Paris and it was, it was worse. It was unlike anything that I've seen outside of the circus with clown cars, 
with people packed in like that. I mentioned it to my sister and, and she said, oh yeah, that must be what living in China is like. And I, I, maybe that puts it in perspective, but I wonder if I should go into that and talk about the, the subways and the just, you know, the press of human beings, you know, just of so many people in such a tiny, tiny amount of space and everybody needs to get somewhere. Uh, and so you have to push and shove and fight for your turn or someone else will take it. That was unusual too. It makes you into a tougher person. It's, it's like, you know, live in New York once, but leave before it makes you hard. The dog-eat-dogness of the city was something that I hadn't been around in a while. A lot of times these places were clean, too. And I wonder if that's just because the people that live there work to keep it clean. Or is it possible that Europeans wouldn't dream of just throwing their garbage on the ground? Something to think about. You know, I'm still not tired. Oh, I sure am. Yeah, I feel like the listener is as well. Well, I, I, I don't know if I should... Ah, damn it, I didn't. I don't know. I, should I call this a night? Should I, should I say this is it? I've only talked about like the first three days. We went to the Black Forest on the third day. Jeff had given me uh, two days to acclimatize, you know, to get back on the schedule. And it, it, I did very well. I feel like for the getting there and not, and I was only heavily jet lagged the first day, but I must be jet lagged right now because like I said, I can't go to sleep. I, I'm just going to say a couple of more things and then, then we'll call it a night. We, we went on one of those bullet trains. I, I'm not sure it was a bullet train, but it, it certainly seemed like it to me from Germany to France. And I found out that I would get motion sick if I was facing away from the road, watching everything pass by and go into the distance. But if I faced the direction we were going and watched things come toward me, I didn't get motion sick. We had learned something new every day. And on this trip, I learned multiple things every single day. It expanded my perception, I think, of what life is like. And uh, I had talked to people that said, well, you're going to have a bunch of new accents because you hear the way that people talk in real life. And it, it, it was a shock to hear how like real Brits talked compared to the way that I do it in my narration. And... There were all sorts of different accents, not just London that were there. There was a tour guide named Eunice. Eunice. That spoke exactly like Nandor the Relentless on what we do in the shadows. And he was from Marrakesh. And his accent was really, really interesting and fun. Eunice. Uh, and there were lots and lots of people from, <laughs> well, from all over, really. Eunice. Different accents that you would hear occasionally, American accents, especially in London and in Venice, you know, French accents, Pakistani accents. The very last restaurant that we went to in Germany, there was a black girl that 
that rang me up. And I was used to having Jeff and Emily have to order for me. But I heard her speak English to Emily. She spoke like this and said, you know, you have a very nice day. And I said, oh my gosh, your English is excellent. And it offended her. And she says, I am from Nigeria. That, that didn't mean anything to me. I, I knew Nigeria was in Africa, but I looked it up and English is the, the, the primary language of Nigeria. But I, I had meant to compliment her. I had, I, I even considered going up and apologizing for saying, I, you know, I, her English was excellent. I didn't do it, um, but it did make me appreciate the language that I speak and the ease at which I communicate with almost anyone. There is a scariness when you are being spoken to and you don't understand what they're saying or you're being asked questions and you don't know how to answer. And yeah, I, I really only know like three or four things in German. And sure, you got to say Guten Morgen and Dankeschön and, and Bitte a lot. But that only gets you so far. I don't even know the numbers in German. Something that probably everybody already knows. I know Big Anklevich knows. Oh, Big Anklevich. I sure wish he were here. Yeah, yeah, me too. Instead of you. Hey. So, so there was culture shock there. The same day that we went to the Black Forest, Jeff wanted to take me to his favorite movie theater. And it's called the Corso there in Stuttgart. It's German-owned, but the owner speaks fluent English, and he only shows films in English there uh, without subtitles. And I was really surprised at how cheap it was to go to the movie there. But more so, the concessions were, were cheap. They were, they were way cheaper than they needed to be. I think it was two euros for a popcorn and three euros for a large popcorn. Those are prices from the 1980s. And Jeff likes to support that theater because, you know, he considers it his local. It's, it's the equivalent to having a local pub that you always try and support. You know, he, he goes to as many movies there as he can to support them, to support this guy. And because they know him there, just like at your local pub. And um, I thought that the place was really nice. It had two screens. One was fairly large and one was very, very small. We saw See How They Run there, which was, it was okay. It, it wasn't bad at all. It just, I, I, I found it mostly forgettable, really. But the experience was cool of, of seeing this movie in there, their land their culture. And there, there was a girl that was behind the counter and she spoke English too. Um, but it was obviously her second language and she wasn't quite as fluent as the owner who was talking to Jeff. Uh, but I, but the movie Smile was there and I tried to talk to her about Smile and how scary it was. And um, I don't know, there was something really attractive about 
a German girl who spoke good English. Maybe that's silly. I, you know, I saw a lot of attractive people. Probably the most attractive person that I saw was on the Paris Metro. And she was super tall. She was like six foot, six foot one model type with like, you know, big lips and big eyes and long blonde hair. I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if she was, you know, some kind of, let's say a guest jeans model or whatever they have there. And we were all jammed in so tightly in, into this compartment uh, on the Metro that she was with her boyfriend. And those two faced each other and just pressed their bodies together like you do not do with a stranger. And basically those two took up one person's worth of space. And I just watched them do it. And I thought, you know, way to go, way to take advantage of this really awful situation of there being three times as many people in this compartment as comfortably it could fit. Um, I'm not sure why I was telling you about the attractive women. Well, because you're trying to give me something that would appeal to me. Yeah, beyond green marsh and Coke Zero. I, yeah, I, I think that that's true. Yeah, there were, were lots of different, uh, very attractive people and a lot of young people, which I, I, I think was, was nice. Most of the time they're in school. And so I almost never saw children and, and especially on the Metro and the, the London Underground, I almost never saw children. But I saw a lot of young people and they seem to be having a good time and, uh, and good. I want people to have a good time. All right. Well, you know what? That's, that's my cue. I should have had fake Sean say that. <laughs> uh, that's all the time I'm going to take up for you today. I, I realize that this is a lot of talk and I'm, I'm not going to apologize. This is, as I said, a once-in-a-lifetime experience, and I, I, really, I really want to um, go into as much depth as I can so that, uh, you know, five years from now, when a lot of this stuff has faded from my memory, I will say, oh, hey, I'd forgotten about that. Yeah, oh, gosh, I did get stuck in a, a subway turnstile. So... Um, before I go, I'm going to have Rob Broughton. Oh, it's already been burned. Uh, he, he gave me a list of one, two, three, four, five questions. And his first question is, if you could... Uh, oh, fake Sean, will you read it? No. Oh. If you could give your pre-trip self one bit of advice, what would it be? And yeah, I think the big takeaway was that I should have studied up on the language. That Duolingo game, I'm, I'm saying that in quotes, that Jeff and Emily played would actually be very, very useful. And I, I listened to them day after day after day where they would have like an English phrase and you'd have to translate it into German or French given a list of words, but you had to also put it in the right order. And that stuff is really useful. 
that would have been really cool. I, I, I realized that I was working on an audiobook with a deadline, but I could have, in the time that I wasn't doing that, been studying up on phrases and questions and statements in German. And if I'd had more time to do it in, in French and Italian, but I didn't do it. I wish that I had had more of the language there. And I know that everybody has a smartphone, and so you can say into your smartphone, how do you say, my Coke Zero exploded in my bag in French? And your phone will tell you, but because I didn't have any data, I couldn't do that. So that, that was the big thing. And that's something that I would recommend too for anybody that's going anywhere other than England is, you know, practice. Do, do a little bit of, of that homework. Oh, wow, we haven't heard that clip in a long time. Wow. You know, that probably added five minutes to this whole editing session, trying to find that dang clip. You're welcome. What? You didn't have anything to do with it. That's what she said, sadly. I would have staved off a lot of that helplessness that I felt had I had ways to communicate, had I been able to read some of the German signs, had I just taught myself how many kilometers are in a mile, how many degrees Celsius are in a degree Fahrenheit, you know, that kind of stuff. So, so that's the advice I would have given myself is to do some homework, maybe buy a, you know, German for dummies book or something like that. If I didn't have internet on my phone. Oh, you could have just checked it out at the library. After all, Rish is so bloody cheap that one time... Uh, but for the most part, they were always with me. And they were my translators. And, and there were people that spoke English, thank goodness for them. But yeah, that, that is the big thing. I, uh, I'm not sure what other advice to give. I'm glad that I took my sister's big suitcase instead of a little tiny one. Because when it came time to come home, I stuffed that thing really, really full. Emily lent me a great, great big backpack. They, they have these huge backpacks in Europe that you can stuff several changes of clothes in, you know, your toiletries bag, uh, whatever you might need, your, your passport, of course. And um, I had brought my little backpack that is good for, you know, a paperback book, a hardcover book, a notebook, and, you know, a couple of Yo Gabba Gabba stuffed animals. And uh, I was very grateful that she lent me hers because we took it where we went and I was able to fill it as full as possible. And even though it was heavy and uncomfortable, it got all of that stuff there that I would have been just completely lost without. So... Uh, I'm going to end this episode here. I'll try and answer a couple more of Rob's questions in the next one. But I'm really going to try to get some sleep. It's 4.21 a.m. And maybe that's not responsible. Maybe I should hit stop and then start on the next episode. It would help me repeat fewer things if I did them back to back. 
but I don't think so. I hope you have enjoyed coming on this little journey with me. And if not, you know, in a couple of weeks, this will all be behind me and we'll be back to telling stories, presenting stories in funny voices. And so that's it. Uh, Feel free to donate to my show if, if that's something that pleases you. And you know, if it doesn't please you, Good night. Say good night, Sean. Good night, sir, Sean. The Rish Outcast is presented under a Creative Commons attribution, no derivatives license. That license enables you to share the file with anyone, but not to charge for it or alter it. A license to kill, by the way, enables me to kill anyone I please whenever I please. You judge with They're all terrible jokes. An elderly wife is on her deathbed and calls her husband to lean in and whispers, I'm sorry, forgive me, and the chest in the attic is one million two hundred thousand dollars and five cents. I earned it hooking while you were busy working your entire life. Husband is mad but forgives her and asks, But which cheapskate gave you the nickel? She replies, they all did. That's not bad.